Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. Uh, I have no mic today, and my voice is kind of fading. It was a long day at work today. Wait a minute. But I'm here with Nicholas Chase. What and, at, uh, what at work would cause your voice to go? What I mean, you work in prosthesis, prosthetics. Yeah. What uh, what what are you shouting at folks to get the damn just, done? Just talking all day. People love to talk. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't usually lose my voice. Today was just. We had AMP clinic, which is when um, we meet with the physiotherapists and the uh, PM&R doc, and we, we meet new patients, so we're, we're constantly talking, and I don't know why, just, yeah, just voice a little fading today, but uh, we don't usually record on Tuesdays, this episode's a little late, but this is going out in about five minutes, so Nick, man, how are you doing? How was last week? Oh man. So blood lactate testing almost gave me a mental breakdown and it was all because of my own crap. Um, I hadn't really prepared, like we had done some intermediate testing. So I thought I had some test strips and test strips are quite expensive. Every time I run through like a swim, bike, run blood lactate test, which is every three months or so it's like a, you know, 150 bucks in test strips plus analysis costs. So it's expensive. And First off, getting through the bike test, you have to go through like 26 or something. So that's 26 finger pricks if you do it perfectly. And then you got to go, you know, I screwed up a couple, so I had to do more. Then I had to have Robbie like overnight me some from, because I just was doing the test. I was like, shoot, I'm not going to have enough. So then we had to redo the second test next day. Um, Then I ran out of Lancets, the ones that I had like disposable spring loaded cartridges. And I had like a thousand of them. Um, no, I probably had like 500. So I went through the, all those and I had like, when you look at a handful of them, you're like, Oh, I got a ton. But then like after 20 or 30, you're gone. You're like, I've got like seven left. <laughs> so I had to send my wife out to the store to get some. And the needles were like tiny and there weren't, it was just like a needle. There was no spring. So I was like having to physically stab my finger and it was not producing any blood. So freaking frustrating and then my fingers just weren't bleeding a lot anyway so holy crap you have to have precision and your shit together and it was a lesson learned because last time i had some help um so that was my last week i just was really about to punch myself in the face about every day any results you want to share about that because i know you're moving into a new phase of training yeah it worked out good so everything we needed to do Um, for the last eight week block, or maybe it was longer than that. We did. Um, so we brought up my VLA, we brought up my VO2, and now we're finally working into more of that, like higher end threshold race paces to get ready for a race in about seven weeks. So we've got like another five, six week block plus a recovery in a taper week. And, um, yeah, I'd say I felt like the swimming was going to be not as good. My form's always been really good, but I felt like I just swam like countless thousands of meters the last couple of weeks, just at like a 118 to a 120 per hundred meter, like just cruising. And I haven't really done anything but sprint, sprint as hard as I can sometimes for like two rounds of eight by 50. So it was just such a weird polarized training scenario with maybe I I like to swim 20,000 plus meters per week. And this was maybe like 
16 to 18. So I was stressing a little bit. The run training's all been about the same, um, but now we're finally hitting some paces. So I would say effectively for training purposes and on blood lactate data, everything worked the way it should. So we'll see how it translates to race day, which will be April 23rd for me. So April 23rd, that is, oh yeah, that's um, Peru. Peru. With a huge prize purse of was it fifteen dollars? Yeah, I, I think they give you a peso and then a, <laughs> a Mexican Coke. Yeah. Um, but that's awesome. So I know now you said you're moving into some more specific training. You said what you got eight by three minutes coming up, stuff I like did, that. I did that today on the bike. Finally had eight by three minutes over three hundred. It was like three hundred and eight to three hundred and forty watts, whatever range. And man, nice. the cardio. Oh, also testing, because you're not working that hard during training, testing just smashes you. Like the mm-hmm. run testing specifically, because it's like a 1K, two by 1K, and then you've got to like jog five minutes between each test. And then there's like three 2K efforts back to back that are like from 340 to 320 to like 310, all back to back with testing between. And that last 2K is massively hard to do because you're already fatigued. You're taking in carbs. And then you do like a 10-minute jog. Then you do a 600 at like probably like 250 per K pace. And then you do a a 600 literally all out. And you want to die at that point. I'm still sore. My lower legs are still sore from it. That sounds atrocious. Yeah. And that's how you prove if you're... EO2 and your lactate thresholds have changed by smashing it and going slow and fast. Wow. That sounds brutal. Yeah. Um, but that's I'm, almost, that's like a race day effort. Like that's crazy to finish like that. Yeah. Yep. But you only have to do it every kind of block that you're going to transition. So not big, not a big deal if you don't have your, unless you have your gear all jacked up like I did. I was such a freaking asshole. yeah but at least you got done and you learn for next time so yeah and that's essentially the last uh bit of training i was also also thinking big pitfalls athletes have in nutritionally training like as a coach i see these things happen all the time where people just or athletes just forget to think about oh i need to not drink plain water all the time or i need not overhydrate and flush out my nutrients and I don't drink it. I'm getting up throughout the night. My sleep is terrible. And what affects that? And it's just tough to remind folks over and over. So I was like, let's have a podcast. Um, Kristen or Dr. K came on and she's fantastic. She does this for a living. She talks to tons of people all the time. Nutrition and recovery are like the two biggest topics that every athlete needs to focus on since we can always train well, but you won't like the recovery is part of it, but then the adaptation happens after the recovery and you need to manage your inflammation, but inflammation's good. So we've got a lot of byproducts of just humanity in trends that are kind of getting in the way of people doing what's important. So inflammation is not always the enemy. It's what's supposed to happen. And if you do an ice bath right after a really, really hard workout, you could be harming your ability to recover or not recover, but to adapt to a circumstance because you're not allowing the inflammation to come up adequately. Maybe you should have done an ice bath the next day. 
or something to that effect. So those things are kind of all part of the, not, not this conversation completely. It's a lot of things we talk about. Garrick, you had to edit it. So you know more about it than I do because I forgot. But yeah, no, it, it was a good conversation. Uh, it was interesting to listen to, especially from my perspective. Because like I'm someone who, you know, has always, my weight's always fluctuated and suddenly I've always struggled with keeping it like consistent and I'm going through something right now. It's something you guys talk about. Like I stopped running and I think the stress of that alone has, you know, I put on like five pounds. I was talking about that the other day. And that's, I always seem to find that fluctuation somehow, uh, whether it's through stress or so it could be eating or just daily stress. You guys talk about that on the podcast as well. So it was a good listen and just little tidbits of keeping you better hydrated throughout the day, how to properly carb load, uh, which I think a lot of people struggle with. There's a lot of people that don't actually know how to do that. So we touch upon that and um, she just, you know, goes into her experience and what she's learned. She's highly educated uh, across all spectrums of, you know, education, like formal education to, perhaps uh, yeah and um she has tons of certifications uh and she covers everything yeah for like i said from that formal education western medicine to like homeopathic stuff like that as well. oh yeah like naturopathic naturopath yeah. that's yeah yeah and i think that her overall ideals are really much in line with what our culture kind of is is like let's figure out the why, not just do things for the sake of doing things. We want to know why we need to sleep this much and why our HRV is this and why our sodium loss rate. So I think the why is really important. And she's, Dr. Kirsten is really good at getting into that. You can find her more on her website, um, which will be in the show notes. And uh, that's pretty much it. Other co- uh, current events, we are about to have a camp, training camp for some of our pro athletes in Henderson, Nevada. So We'll be riding through Lake Mead and running on the path over by the Hoover Dam, hopefully Red Rocks, um, all that stuff. And yeah, hopefully it doesn't suck. Yeah, I'm really hoping it doesn't suck. I've, I've never ridden out there, but I've heard really good things. So yeah. that'll be fun. We also have Clash Miami coming up this weekend. Uh, I haven't really taken a good look at the start list, but all that matters is Lionel Sanders said he's going to show up. So nobody else really matters on the start list. Lionel's uh, going to be there? Yeah, Lionel, he said he just announced it. Wow. <clears throat> He's going to be there. Unfortunately, there's no live coverage this year, but they are doing uh, like a post-race coverage. So that'll be interesting to watch. I don't know if that's going to go back up on NBC again, um, but that'll be pretty cool. It does suck not to have the live coverage, but it's expensive. Yeah. Um, I know it's expensive, but the live coverage – I hope this isn't like a, a a new trend where we start losing the live coverage because I felt like we're getting to a point where it was like getting good. And this is the time of year where I think we're all kind of like antsy to watch triathlon. Well, it's par for the course. I mean, we want these things. We we want support. We want money. And then when an organization comes in and provides it, it isn't received as well. And maybe the return is half. And as a community, you've got to get your folks and your family members and your friends involved in watching these things. Have watch parties um, at Clash Miami. It's going to be a great, I mean, I pulled up the start list that they published at least. Sam Long, Vincent Louie, Daniel Bakagar, Joe Skipper, Jason West, Yuri Kulin, Maddie Sharp, David McNamee, Sam Appleton, Thomas Bishop, 
And those are just some of the bigger names I know off the top of my head um, that I recognize. And then on the women's field, Jackie Herring, Sarah Pelaz-Sala, who has always been dramatic there, great racing. Haley Chura, Lucy Byram, Pamela Oliveira, Grace Alexander. And I think I don't remember the rest of these names or I haven't met these women, but there's it's on the Clash Endurance Instagram if you want to see who's racing. And I guess Lionel is a lady. Yeah. So, so Clash, you know, Clash always had the best coverage, like hands down, maybe aside from World Triathlon, they did the best coverage and they, they're still going to do Daytona, they said. But for this race, um, yeah, no live coverage, which is a shame because. This is a stacked start list. I don't know when you're going to find a start list like this outside of a PTO Open. Yeah, I love watching these races. So that's happening. Uh, Jackson is not coming to camp. Leslie is not coming to camp. However, I think everyone – oh, Lisa is not either. But everyone else will be there. So we'll have tons of fun content. We're going to be doing an Envy wheel or Envy composite Instagram takeover one of those days. Nice. So that'll be fun. Hopefully we'll have a bunch of team gear, precision hydration sent, a bunch of stuff. We'll have all of our team gear. Hopefully our ND wheels show up. And yeah, I should. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. But until then, um, just check our Instagram. You can see what's going on. And let's jump into the episode, Garrick. Uh, first, are we doing Patreon? Yeah. Okay. So Patreon, we wanted to recognize for a long-standing friend and athlete. I coach for a while, Evelyn M. She's been a big fan of what we do. She's always great energy. So I wanted to say a quick shout. Thank you to Evelyn for being a patron. And Garrick will put that in the show notes too, if you want to become a patron on between, I think like $3 to $20. And there are returns on that this year. We're going to make sure that we're doing giveaway. Somebody won a free kit, free Sonic Jack Roo race kit can't remember who it was but he won was it mario no anyways that was a you know 280 dollar kit that we gave away so there's we're going to be doing a lot of that so it's important for us that we are self-funded through all of you so thank you so much for your contributions yeah. anything so, else nope i think that's everything without further ado let's roll into the episode All right. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Kirsten Lawrenson. Thank you so much. Um, I know I've been back and forth with you probably over the last week, sometimes giving you good times, sometimes rescheduling since my life's been hectic. So thank you so much for being part of today's episode. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so for a, I, I we will do some background checking on you to make sure you're legit. You haven't <laughs> not a sex offender or anything like that, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> But me, most importantly, I want to give you an opportunity quickly to talk about your passion and why this topics and the topics we're going to talk about are so important for what you do as as a physician and also as you know an athlete. So can you dive yeah. into that and what, tell us your story a little bit? Totally. Okay. So I'll make it brief, but we're going to go back to like high school age-ish, middle school, high school. So um, I was in all sorts of sports growing up, super, super active kid and uh, loved gymnastics, like absolutely loved it. Um, but by the time I was 12, 
I was breaking down basically. Like I had low back pain. I had knee pain. I had sprained my ankle so many times. It was just so easy for me to just like, you know, have issues with that. And wrists were starting to hurt and all these things. So I got pulled out of gymnastics and got thrown into other sports basically, you know? Um, and, and then at the same time, and this comes really into where functional medicine really comes into play is that, and I talk about this all the time, but I had, um, the starts of endometriosis, which is a, um, condition that females get, um, that, is where you can get uterine cells growing outside of the uterus. And it can be very, very painful and um, just can cause a lot of just issues <laughs> monthly. And now we're kind of looking at it as a little bit more of an inflammatory condition and maybe a little bit more on the autoimmune side. So the it, that's kind of where functional medicine is going with, at least with um, endometriosis. So looking back on that now, I'm like, oh, that's really, really interesting. So I, I had that and growing up and then you know, just a slew of different types of injuries and things that kept popping up. And then I got migraines and I just had all sorts of things that made it really difficult to enjoy sports sometimes, um, just because there were so many things happening that it would pull me out of practice. It would pull me out of sport. And, um, I kind of got to the point where things just were kind of headed downhill. And on top of that, then when I went into college, um, I started getting a lot of GI tract issues. It really, really hurt to eat. And I got to a point where, um, I had like lost 15 pounds. I was super, super thin, um, borderline, just like definitely, definitely not eating enough, you know? And, and so I really had to take a step back and look at like, how do I fix what's happening? Because what is happening right now is really hard for me to be able to just like live my life. So that's when I started actually getting into CrossFit, which is, um, you know, CrossFit? now I don't, yeah. Yeah, I did CrossFit for a really long time. Um, and then I transitioned into triathlon. So we'll get there. But um, I did that for a while. And I also learned about nutrition and I started learning about alternatives. So I, I saw a chiropractor for the first time and really started seeing how much the physical body and taking care of it and putting the right food in as well as starting to optimize a lot of the systems inside the body is so helpful for not only healing chronic stuff that also athletes experience quite a lot, you know, and then also on top of that, um, really starting to figure out how do you get the body to be able to perform really well too. So as I was, you know, going through all of that, that guided me to go to be a doctor of chiropractic. I have five degrees. I have three bachelors and, and, um, two bachelors of science or one bachelor of science. And then I have, um, my doctor of chiropractic as well as a master's in human nutrition and functional medicine. So I've got lots and lots of background and degrees. That's very impressive. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, it's, it, it's kind of was a reflection of like, okay, like chiropractic really helped me from like a physical standpoint, as far as injuries and migraines and fixing a lot of that stuff. And then it's kind of set up the, okay, this is what functional medicine is. This is nutrition. This is where a lot of my passion is because I realized how effective it was at helping me heal. And, um, and then at the same time, I was starting to transition into triathlon. So I focused all of my masters on sport and on athletes and, um, started really looking into how do you start to apply the functional medicine principles to performance? So 
then at the same time as well, like I was, I got into, I think I did my first um, Ironman 70.3 in 2019. So I just basically graduated from all of my degrees. <laughs> I was no longer in school and starting. How, how many years of school total? Um, I was in school until, um, I think it was 2018 when I graduated with 2017 or 2018. I can't remember. That's how long I was. So uh, that basically 28 years. <laughs> That's incredible. It's a lot of school. It's That's a lot great. of school. You should never stop. I'm still learning. I'm never done. Well, and then of course, on top of that, I have tons of certifications. Like I have further education in, um, you know, in functional um, sports medicine with Dr. R. Sapaya. He's an amazing, he's an amazing person for looking at um, applying functional medicine to sport. I've, I also, you know, I have so, so many different things, but the, um, but really what, what started to happen is as I started getting into triathlon, I started seeing so many people struggling with it, it, me included. Right. I was like, wait, how do you actually do this? Like fueling and hydration stuff. Like, mm -hmm. and then on top of that, how do you also work with what's going on physiologically in the gut? And I also started learning about endurance sports and looking at a lot of different panels for a lot of different athletes and for myself. And I started realizing like, man, this isn't just in endurance sports, but a lot of athletes have a lot of nutrient deficiencies. And we also have a lot of tendency not to eat enough. And then on top of that, you know, the, some of these can have big implications for what's going on in the gut. And as I was learning how to heal myself, then I was also starting to learn like, okay, well, how do we start to apply this so that we can actually perform at and just like an amazing level. And hopefully that's, you know, some things we'll get into today. Mm -hmm. um, but that really is my journey and um, of how I really got here to this point is just a lot of my own healing and my own journey of fixing the things that I just was like fed up with and was like, okay, I can't live this way anymore. And then also how do I get to this place where I feel really good about my performance and all of those things too. I, I find that that type of story is, is the most profound and it makes the most lasting change for the individual. And also it's probably make, making you one of the best providers for your patients because you found the personal connection to really the why it's not just, well, this mm -hmm. person needs to get in and out of my office. It's, I really want to make an impact on this person's life. Yeah. I mean, and you think about it too, like, and I, I say this a lot, like I've, I've done Ironmans, I've done pl like plenty of 70.3s and I know how much time you spend training for this stuff, you know, and how much it becomes a part of your life. So when you go into a doctor and you're like, Hey, I've got these things going on. And they tell you, well, maybe you should just do less. Like yeah. how bad does that feel? <laughs> you it's, know, it's not a very, I've had athletes tell me that they're, well, my doctor recommends that I don't run for a whole eight months. I'm like, well, yeah. you've got a race soon enough. And I don't really, you know, based yeah. on the knowledge that I have, I don't know if that's really the answer to, to stop, but it's the same, right. it's the same notions during the pandemic. It wasn't, like go be more vivid person outside, get some fresh air. It was like sequester yourself from everyone and stay indoors and protect your, it right. wasn't, it wasn't Which to is build the immune system in many ways, the worst advice, right? Because like getting Good outside running, yeah. and being in the air and getting fresh air and also being in the sun, if you live in a place where you get a lot of sun, like those are the things that boost your immune system the most. So it's, yeah. Anyway, it's, that's a whole yeah. other, that's a that's whole, a whole other, other topic, but <laughs> it's a whole nother docu-series. Um, so yeah. today specifically, I wanted to hit on a few topics along the lines of hydration, okay. fueling, um, and then kind of the lack of fueling and, and mm -hmm. that's a vicious circle and how that kind of mm -hmm. adds more weight to the already problems you're trying to fix. 
Um, and then maybe some travel advice for athletes who have to train with maybe a compromised immune system already. And then, you know, some supplements that, you know, obviously whole foods is, is a great way to, to try to get your, not the, not the store. I'm not saying to go to whole foods and spend all your money. I'm just saying eating, <laughs> eating whole food yeah, yeah. is the best way to eat. Yeah, we'll um, but obviously that. I even think some supplementation for athletes is because we're stressing so much is necessary. So I want to hit yeah. those topics. However, um, before we get too deep into that, I mm-hmm. wanted to touch on something that's personal to my story as a, mm. kind of a parent is uh, our kids have had stomach issues over. And this has like been terribly hard to find solutions for where our kids, eat, our 12 year old doesn't really eat much. She's a girl and she just has like five foods she eats. No matter what, if I was to give her a thousand dollars, she probably wouldn't try something new. Okay. And then our 15 year old has just like he eats and his stomach hurts. And we've had mm. you know gut biome checked. Um, You know, what are in, in some of those quick and dirty cases where it's like, most people are not doing this. Is it like, is this as big of a problem as for most parents and kids that that you've maybe have seen or heard of that it's just tough to get kids to eat well, number one. And number Mm -hmm. two, the stomach pains that are kind of going along with it. Is it a direct relation to our next topic, which might be like hydration? Is everyone just not drinking enough water? Oh, yeah, there's a lot that goes into that. And this is where as like a functional medicine practitioner, I'm, I talk so much about just getting the testing done. And there's, there's a couple of the layers of that. I'll kind of give you some like kind of brief things of like what I check for the most and then, um, you know, where to start. So, and I would actually say this one sounds like the thing that most people would go to last, but I'm going to put it first because of how important it is when we look at just even just what happened over the last couple of years with the pandemic and all of that, there's a lot of extra stress that not only adults got went through, but also kids too. And they sense a lot of that, right? So like when I look at any, any person, whether they're a kid or adult and they have something going on in the body and they also maybe have, you know, and that can include GI and gut related things. We also have to consider what's going on with the mind and the mindset there too. Because if you think about the stomach, one of the most common emotions that goes along with the stomach is nerves, right? We get butterflies in our stomach. So if we have pain there, and also if you have a gut that just like, you know, things just flush through really fast, or if you've got a gut that's like getting really bloated, so maybe it's not processing food very quickly, we need to think about how is the nervous system playing a role here? So this actually starts to go a little bit more into like mindset and Mm. stress and fight or flight. And is this body getting into parasympathetic, Um, you know, and so for those that are listening, your sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight, which is, and, and also freeze and fawn. So this is kind of where, uh, you know, you get a stressor, And then if you don't do anything about it, it can start to become quite chronic. And then that has different implications for what goes on in the body with that chronic stress. Then parasympathetic is what we would call rest and digest. But this is also a place where you get to be really creative. We start to see lots of options. We get perspective as well as we get, um, there's a lot more healing that can be done in this state as well. So when we have, um, you know, anybody dealing with anything in the body, we have to first start to take a step back and be like, okay, how much of their day are they spending 
anxious or stressed about something. And that may not even be actively like I'm stressed, you know, like we all have signs and symptoms of what that looks like for us. And we also kind of need to consider what do, and this is obviously maybe not for your kids, but for adults, you know, thinking about our training plans, thinking about family stress, financial stress, life stress, you know, all of these at different aspects, we can all say like, well, I don't feel like I'm stressed, but let's actually break that down for a minute and look at how is the nervous system responding. And if you've got a bunch of chronic symptoms going on, or if you have like one or two, that's going to lead me first to say, okay, what do we need to implement into your lifestyle that gets you into that place where you're going to be recovering, where you're going to be healing, where you're going to be getting into that parasympathetic nervous system so that the body can actually relax for a minute. So taking that a step further then for like stomach pains, the next step after that is looking at does this diet, does the stomach and the pancreas have enough digestive enzymes and stomach acid to be able to digest that food? Well, mm-hmm. um, if, and so I don't know what kind of um, gut biome test you you ran with your with your kiddo, but um, there are gut panels out there where we can see starting from the stomach, digestive enzymes and absorption. Are they breaking down protein well? Are they breaking down fats well? All the way down to the colon, basically, and we just look at everything of what's what's going on start to finish. Um, so that's that's the second place I usually go is like okay if um, the lifestyle what, first. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So lifestyle, well, lifestyle, yes, but also looking at like the nervous system. I also like to take a look at what's going on in the GI tract itself. And then third, then that leads into, are they chewing their food? Well, Mm -hmm. are they actually resting to like actually digest? So do we need to take some deep breaths before dinner? Do we need to do something that kind of gets their, um, nervous system actually able to absorb that food. And then on top of that, you know, do we, do we need to change something up around foods, right? Is there something that do they have food sensitivities? Do they have something that is just like every time they're eating it, this is kind of amplifying those, those symptoms. Um, additionally sleep, right. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well, as well as, um, you know, movement in there too. There's, there's a lot of like lifestyle things. And then you also mentioned hydration. So being dehydrated can also affect your digestive system. So it's kind of taking the step back and looking at every single system that's like happening in the body that can, that is working in tandem with that digestive system. What could potentially be creating that stomach pain um, or any of those digestive system, uh, you know, symptoms and really not just honing in on like, okay, what's going on with that stomach the first time that hit that food hits the stomach. And then also taking that step back out and looking at start to finish, like what all is involved, because that's really the root of where you find the cause of a lot of the the issues. So um, I don't know if that helps or not, but that's usually how I look at it. Absolutely. And from what I've noticed just as an, as an adult working with other adults and kids is stress has never seemingly been higher and it's hard yeah. to avoid it Right from, from the phone. Oh, I mean, we've been putting limitations on screen time. I mean, sometimes. Oh, I'll- and that's a whole Stop. other thing, right? Yeah. Screen time and all of those things. <laughs> and those <laughs> cause a lot of anxiety in kids. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, that's great advice. All the things that we've been trying to, to mitigate as well, especially mindfulness when you are ingesting food to making sure that it's yep. not just inhaling it real quick and actually spending yep. it, you know, enough time to process. Okay. So 
Mm-hmm. Thank you for that bit of advice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think we should transition over into hydration okay. with a couple of you know factors right away. And in your opinion, what would you suggest for a regular athlete to consume in terms of liters per day mm-hmm. or how often should they be drinking? And should it be strictly water or should it have more electrolytes built in? Okay. So I, you'll hear this as a common theme across this whole thing, because I really like to make sure that everything is specific for the athlete. And Mm. one of the, so when I, when people say like, oh, you should be drinking, you know, eight to 10 glasses of water a day, I take a step back and say, well, wait a second, let's actually look at what's going on in the body when you drink eight to 10 ounces of water. And, you know, is the, what's the urine color look like, right? You know, and it can look clear in that case, but is the body also then flushing out a lot Mm -hmm. of the electrolytes as well, right? That's going to be counterproductive. So first things first, what, and you mentioned you, your, your athletes are, are, um, I would say in many terms lucky because you do a lot of sweat testing with them. Um, however, if people don't have access to that, the easiest thing that I have athletes do is get your analysis strips off of Amazon. They're pretty cheap and you can get a really lot, you get a lot of them, you know, in there. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. And you can, you can test for, um, specific gravity. And what I'll have people do is test it in the morning to then evaluate, you know, how did their, um, hydration do the day before, you know, if you're, if they're waking up dehydrated, then clearly we didn't do enough yesterday, or clearly we had something that was that we didn't have enough of something, whether that was water or electrolytes or whatever that looks like. And then we can also test that throughout the day as well as around your workouts too, to see if, if your hydration strategy is actually working for you. So that's kind of like step one overview is like, yeah, generally speaking, maybe like 60 ounces to hundred ounces a day is going to be somewhat standard for people. It's just for athletes, we're going to bump that up a little bit more because your standard requirements for just your general person is not enough. And that is across the board, like always going to be that way. Athletes require more period. And I know we're talking to endurance athletes, which means that it absolutely is going to be more. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think I would start at like a general kind of level and I would bump that up a little bit and start there and then, and then, you know, start testing it after that and seeing, cause again, as we can use urine color, we can use weight and all of those things, but that doesn't tell you what's going on with electrolyte balance. So then number two, a lot of athletes have a tendency to drink like sports drinks outside of sport and their training sessions. And that can cause a few different problems. So number one, um, and they're okay to drink during, let me just, you know, make sure I'm clear on that. So it's, it's good to drink a, um, some sort of beverage that has the right, you know, a good amount of electrolytes in it, what forever, what that looks like for other people, right? Because sweat rates and salt rates and all of those things are different per athlete. I have some who don't require much salt at all. And I have some who are in the like, you know, 1500s to 2000s, you know, an hour of salt that they're losing. So there's a really, really wide variety. And again, this is genetic, the sodium loss Per mm-hmm. athlete is more genetic. And I think a mm-hmm. lot of athletes have no clue that that is such a determining factor in your race performance. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say on top of that, like a lot of athletes will say like, oh, well, I must not have an issue with hydration if I'm not cramping. Or a lot of athletes will say I must have a hydration issue if I am cramping. And they kind of use cramping as their their guide to whether or not they have problems with hydration. But just recently in 2022, a study came out that was looking at, um, you know, hydration and electrolyte status in marathon runners. And it actually came down to not an imbalance in sodium, potassium, hydration, any of that. It actually came down to whether they were, they were strong enough for what they were doing. So strength and conditioning training, which actually means then that like, a lot of the reason why people are cramping is more because they need to include more strength and conditioning and overall cross training into their training plans, which is not well known across the board. I don't know why. So, like that's the first thing some athletes come to me. They're like, well, I haven't really hit the gym in three or four years with my coaches. Mm-hmm. I'm like that. Is, I'm not saying you have to hit the gym and throw weights around, but mm-hmm. you should most definitely be for, focusing on some strength and power movements within your sport. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So we can, we can harp on hydration all day long. And I will say it's probably one of your most, um, needed things across the board. You know, people, I think tend to tend to under hydrate quite a lot, Mm -hmm. which, you know, let me just kind of take a step back here. Like that has, if you're spending what I would call a chronic dehydration every single day, if you're spending time doing that, you're just not drinking enough water throughout the day. It hurts your recovery. It hurts your, you know, adaptation to that exercise. And it also, um, you know, it just kind of is one of those things where you're leaving some of that performance on the table. You know, yeah. And if you're going to be spending the time doing it, like I wanted everything out of those sessions I could get, you know, because I was spending, you know, and, and you spend sometimes three to four hours or more on your bike on the weekend. Like I, I want the most out of that. And I also need to make sure I recover for the next day so that I can get back into whatever training session I have the next day. So it's, it's really, really important to get this stuff dialed in. Um, yeah. That's sweat equity is what I like to call it. <laughs> yeah. So- yeah. Let's make sure we're doing that. Yeah. So really quick, just to recap, um, yeah. hydration and then, I mean, there's probably a little bit more of like a specificity within hydration per the athlete. I mean, everyone yeah. can say, well, I'm hydrating because I'm drinking water, but what else would you recommend um, in terms of what to add in your drinks yeah. when you're hydrating outside of training versus in- obviously we, during training, that's kind of obvious since you're going to yeah. be losing sodium majority. Um, most electrolyte drinks do have a bit of potassium and magnesium anyway. So you probably don't need to stress that bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also a second part, how long does cellular hydration typically take? Because this is a whole strategy that I think I've been putting people on like three to four days before a race. Um, it's a hot race and we can recap so we don't get too lost, but athletes will start drinking heaps of water a couple of days out and oh, yeah. flush their bodies of all that oh, yeah. density. So let's talk about those two things. Like, um, you know, okay. what, what should you be putting in for regular hydration outside of training yep. and how long does it take to, for your body to actually absorb process and store to where you might finally feel like bloated or hydrated? Yeah, totally. Okay. So part one of that question, yeah. uh, what do you do outside of training? So what I do is I start people out on, um, a, like a pinch of salt and a little bit of maple syrup in every like 16 ounces of Mm -hmm. water they have. Right. So the reason for that is because every cell and, uh, has a, 
salt and glucose transporter. So if you want to be able to bring that water into the cells, it doesn't have to be a lot, right? It's like very, very little amounts, but it's just enough that that water is going to get in those cells. And it's really, really interesting when you apply this, when people apply this, I'm like, literally, I would really challenge your, your, um, listeners here, if they are, you know, really serious about, you know, getting results and also, uh, you know, uh, taking action on things. This is like one thing to take action on and see the difference because you will notice you feel different. I like mm-hmm. guarantee it. Um, this is also a way to kind of just limit that loss of electrolytes as well that a lot of people will see throughout the day if they're not, if they're just drinking plain straight water throughout the day. So every 16 ounces of water, you know, I have like now jeans and big hydro flasks and things. And so I just add up whatever, however many ounces are in those. And I just, you know, double up or triple up, whatever, whatever okay. that is. So it's a couple teaspoons or, uh, of like maple syrup and a couple pinches of salt and you're like, good to go. That's, that is what I have people start out with. And then if, again, as, as you mentioned, like if they have genetically, or if we know on their sweat tests or things like that, that they're just somebody that just needs a bit more salt, then we'll start to look at your higher, level things like maybe they need to be doing something like uh, not to mention there's so many different types of things you can do but salting your foods obviously is going to be really important making sure you're getting as best you can a wide variety of different types of fruits and vegetables which i know can be harder during certain t- training periods and others yeah, is, that you fiber. Know, fiber can be really tricky so we'll talk about some things that you can do with that but also recognizing that a lot of your fruits and vegetables are going to have magnesium they're going to have mm-hmm. potassium they're going to have sodium so um, you know, if it, you, you can look at some of those higher salt electrolyte drinks, if, uh, you're kind of one of those people that is like needing a, a bit of a boost throughout the day. So th- that's what I would say as far as part one, it's like, let's, let's do a little bit more on what we would call maybe the functional hydration piece outside of training with the salt and maple syrup. And then, um, so less, less plain water is kind of like yeah. the foot stop here. Like if you're yeah. just having a jug of water that you carry around, like you see folks at the gym, yep. that's, you probably should put a couple bit of endurance. You know, oh, absolutely. If people are drinking like a gallon of water a day, I actually have them oftentimes put element element tea in their, in their drink in that whole gallon of water. I'll have them put element in there. And I know it's a lot of sodium, but like the instant that they do that and drink that throughout the day, that water doesn't feel like it's going right through them anymore. So it just, it's just one of those things that, um, is something to play around with and see what fits and works for that specific athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I would love for people to take a little more like experimentation and try different things to see what makes them feel better. Absolutely. Because now go ahead. ahead. I was going to say one last thing on that. So like if people are traveling, which a lot of athletes travel for these different events and things like that, if you're going to be on an airplane or if you travel for work often and you know, you're on an airplane a lot more water, like you, you, more water, more sodium, salt, like all of that. Like I would almost bring a sports drink with you on that plane because it's very, very, very dehydrating. So if, you know, people are traveling a lot during their training seasons and also for competition season, those hydration needs go way up. Um, so just another caveat on that too. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And then transitioning that into the duration before yeah. like a key hot race, or even just, let's say in life, you probably need to drink more anyways, but mm-hmm. how long does it take for your body to respond and actually utilize what you're taking in? Well, it really, it really only takes like one to two days maximum to be able to do that. We can influence your blood plasma volume within a day or two. Um, so what you'll see for, and this I'll, I'll, I'll even give this in the caveat for like women specifically too, that are in their Mm. second half of their cycle. So these are for menstruating women that aren't necessarily in menopause. So this is that reproductive stage of life. Um, for women or for also people in general who need to increase that blood plasma volume right before really, really hot races, we can load a little bit more with a higher sodium drink that will make sure that that water is sticking around. So you'll feel a little more, maybe a little more bloated, a little more hydrated, you know, when you do that, but you're also going to be making sure that you're going into your day with more um, blood plasma volume, which will help you with managing that heat and stress and and um, trying to keep your body cool throughout the day. So it doesn't take too long. But, you know, this, the thing is, is that so many athletes, as you mentioned, they start drinking a lot of plain water three to four days before the event. And they're just flushing all of their electrolytes out, which is really counterproductive. Absolutely. Especially if you're traveling and then you're training beforehand and you're not, you're, you're entering the situation with maybe a little bit lower hydration to begin with. So I think sodium loading for sure is also kind of hand in hand with carb loading these days. And Mm -hmm. something you need to do for like race week requires a race week protocol. And it's not just carb load the night before sodium load the night before, because then it's too late. You've got to really pre-plan. And I think Mm -hmm. as coaches, everyone's starting to get on board with that. Um, and I'm sure that you're a big fan of that. So yeah, I, and I'll just put, pat myself on the back. Yeah, absolutely. Mind, you get a full race week protocol. Um, yeah. And I, I can't stress that enough. All of my athletes get a pre-race protocol as well as their race day protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, the other thing I was going to say on that, you mentioned carb loading. So yeah. yeah, like carb loading three to four days ahead of time is actually really important um, and has a significant impact on energy towards the end of the race. Mm-hmm. And when people carb load, you also are going to be um, to get the, that glucose and carbohydrate, you know, st- to stay the, the glycogen, to stay in the muscles, you are going to also need more water to be able to do that as well. So you might feel a little more puffy when you do that, but you're going in with so much more energy, but that's, I just want to say that too. Like if people are carb loading, you've got to make sure you have more water because, um, it's, it's quite, quite essential for making sure that that carbohydrate sticks around and does what you're wanting it to do. <laughs> well, that's a great segue into our next topic, uh, fueling. Uh, I kind of think there's two frames of thought, um, for athletes. You've got you've got your fuel, which is you're going to race and train with, and you've got your nutrition, which is what you're going to revolve the rest of your life around when you're not training. So yeah, can you kind of differentiate, um, you know, the types of carbs athletes should be focusing on as a race approaches versus as we're six to eight um, weeks out and we're just in the brunt of it, high stress, high work, high, you know, what type of fueling strategy should we change with our periodized training and racing schedules? Okay. So 
That's actually a very interesting question. Okay, so here's and actually I'll take this back to to the where I'll, we'll all start with the um, sports drinks outside of our um, training Drink. sessions. If you are drinking something, let's say like Gatorade, right, which is very high on the sucrose um, and also pretty high on the sodium not that high, but it is, it is mixed at a rate that it's quite a lot higher than what the body is usually able to absorb. Um, so with that, that sugar, if you're drinking a lot of those outside of outside of training, we're going to be messing with our periodization of carbohydrates throughout the day. So actually it's quite important to, to be paying attention to a lot of those things because it can significantly impact that, that carbohydrate periodization. So then now getting into your question. So then, um, when, when we are looking at different types of carbohydrates, there's a few different boats that people get into. So one is your fast sugars. These are those like really simple, easy to digest glucose, um, sucrose, fructose. These, these, uh, types of carbohydrates come into the gut and they, I mean, they are absorbed very, very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then you have kind of the maltodextrin side, which is the more complex carbohydrate source that doesn't spike your blood sugar quite as much. And you will find two camps of people <laughs> that some of them are on the like glucose, fructose, like as fast as sugars as you can get, and they just thrive and love that. And then you'll get a camp of people who are kind of a lot more along the lines of like really like their maltodextrin because it just doesn't spike their blood sugar as much. With both of them, um, you know, I have some things with maltodextrin, like the fact that we have some studies that show that it may be a bit more inflammatory to the gut lining. And so for me, I, I start to, I just, with all of my athletes, I kind of say, yes. why don't we try a mix of different things and test these things and just see what you think and how you maybe perform differently with different options. So whole food being like, um, your sure cookies, candies, I don't know. You can, uh, do like fruit bars. You can do fruit snacks. You can do gummies. You can also create your own little like power ball things with, um, you know, maple syrup and oats and peanut butter and all sorts of things. You can kind of go whatever route you want. Um, but I, I always want athletes to try many different things, um, mm -hmm. to just see how they feel. And I have some athletes that go back to maltodextrin type drinks and foods and gels and things, and they just like that. So uh, again, kind of going back to what I said in the beginning is like, I'm not here to tell any athlete that like their way is wrong, <laughs> but I do want them to try many different things because if it is preventing them from being able to perform at just that like a bit more that maybe gets them those extra steps ahead, especially if we're talking about podium finishes, you know, age group being at, you know, first, second, third, you know, we, we really do want to be making sure we're optimizing everything for performance. So yeah. the, the other caution with like maltodextrin and your gels is that because they are in such a high density, when they get dumped into the stomach, the reason why they recommend you drink them a lot with water is because they, because it's such a high density, the body has to be able to digest it somehow and break it down. So it'll pull water from the rest of your body and pull it into your stomach. And this is why a lot of people take gels and they get GI distress and all sorts of problems because now not only do you have less water in 
outside your body, right. To, or in the other aspects of your body to, um, help you with, with, uh, cooling down, right. And sweating and all of that. So we're leading to faster dehydration, but also now, um, we've slowed gastric emptying. So the stomach doesn't, doesn't empty as quickly. And then also the small intestine can have some hard time with being able to digest Mm -hmm. that too. So, um, that's just like, kind of just physiologically where I look at the body and how it absorbs things and how it interacts with different substances. And, and I, I just take a look at that. I'm like, okay, how can we then, you know, for some athletes where gels are just really easy, like it's so, they're so light, they're so easy to carry with you. They're not cumbersome. Uh, and they're really, really easy to take. What can we do to kind of offset some of that stuff? So sometimes I'll say like, okay, let's make sure you're drinking enough water and maybe only doing like a quarter of the packet and you're taking little bits of it in at a time throughout the hour or do we have a type of whole food that's really easy to do and can we do a mix of things like towards the beginning of a race like our triathletes you know, I'll say on the bike, let's try and focus on whole food for as much as possible. And then as soon as we start to transition into the run where it is really nice to have things that are fast and easy to grab, then let's maybe start transitioning into those gels and we have less of a potential for GI distress and all of those things. So, and for some athletes, they do whole food throughout the whole thing. Right. So, and that's also great too. So, um, that's my, my thing with at least fueling inside of, and then you asked, so then what do you do as far as like, um, you know, when people are in the height of their, their training block and we've got lots and lots and lots of intensity. And then, you know, as we're, we're tapering off into our, um, race days. So this is a little bit more of a nuanced thing, but I would say first off, making sure that you're, you know, how much carbohydrate you need to be getting within your hour, two hours, three hours of your training sessions is really critical. Mm -hmm. So, and it will stay the same pretty much no matter what throughout your training. So this is kind of standard rule of thumb, right? So if it's an hour long training session, we probably just need to focus on hydration and make sure you're getting your pre-workout and then your post-workout dialed in. Otherwise we probably don't need to focus too much on fueling. Um, you're, and so that's kind of my standard rule of thumb there. And then as soon as we start getting into your 90 minutes or more, then we really want to make sure we're getting 60, 75 grams of carbohydrate ish and dialing that in for you. Now for some, um, of our female athletes that actually might fluctuate even more depending on where they are within their cycle and things like that. But, um, And then also for our athletes who are on the side of menopause and also our aging, um, male athletes as well, the, the amount of carbohydrate tends to, tends to adjust as well. And we actually want to be focusing a little bit more on protein, fat and carbohydrates coming in. So we're focusing a bit more on like our macros, um, and a a balance of some of those versus just straight up carbohydrates that we would, you know, for our athletes that are kind of in your twenties, thirties and low forties. But so that's kind of, so that stays the same, no matter what throughout your entire training season, pretty Mm -hmm. much is like any of those sessions that are, you know, going to be longer than an hour and 20 minutes or so. We definitely want to make sure we're fueling and we're getting that right throughout. And this is where that testing becomes so critical, right? Is like definitely making sure that what we're testing in training, if it's going really well, it's most likely going to go really well on race day too. Mm-hmm. So then, um, and as I mentioned, that pre-workout becomes really important because um, you actually want to increase some of your carbohydrates for that pre-workout 
if you're going to be doing longer sessions as well. So this periodization starts to become really, really important, making sure that throughout the day we're increasing the amount of carbohydrates. So what I would say, like comparatively speaking and how I help athletes, especially from like a gut health perspective throughout their season is in that beginning like, what would you say? Maybe like four weeks or so where intensity and time is still a little bit on the lower side. We'll be doing plenty of, you know, starchy carbohydrates, our rices and potatoes and pastas and all of those things, but also making sure that we're getting in a decent amount of vegetables and fruits and our colorful varieties of foods. We want to make sure we're eating as much of the rainbow as possible because this is not only going to affect the types of bacteria that live in the gut, which is very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, but also it's going to help us with making sure we're filling in as many of those nutrient and um, vitamin mineral gaps as possible. Then when you start getting deeper in, so we're, we're entering into about your five, six, seven, eight ish in a training block, eight, eighth week, ninth week. Um, this is when it starts to shift more into a lot more starchy carbohydrates throughout your day probably going to be less on the veggie side. Like maybe we'll get some salads in, but that's, you know, we're going to be not getting as much um, throughout that because we've really got to focus on our protein and make sure that those carbohydrates are there so that we're getting enough energy in. Because if we're in a caloric deficit, we're, we're losing, we're losing things, you know, at mm -hmm. that point. Um, and then when you start to taper off, that's where we can kind of, we want to make sure that those carbohydrates stay up, but we can start to incorporate a bit more of those, maybe those vegetables and things back in so we can uh, help the body with the amount of load and stress from those really high intensity mid training block um, weeks, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So essentially everything that we do is, can be equated to stress, um, whether yes. and it's the level of stress based mm -hmm. on the, the periodization of our training and our plan that kind of dictates the in the, con the cons consummation of which type of carbohydrate and how often. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I, I really appreciate what you said specifically. I have some new athletes who come on board sometimes and I have to remind them, well, usually it's because they've felt what it's like to, to make these mistakes. Um, and then so yeah. then we talk yeah. about why you should avoid eating big, huge salads at lunch. If you've got to go home and train, Yep. in the next two to three hours and, and run because all of that fiber in your stomach takes a lot of stress on your body to break down and store and process. Mm -hmm. So it can't really do it quickly. Um, yeah. And then something else I think that we should mention in terms of fueling is the timing. I've, I think uh, I, I was on like a super sapiens uh, video chat once talking about what they've learned through a lot of their processes. And that that's the company kind of has that CGM, the continuous blood glucose yeah. monitor yeah. on your back of your arm. And I've mm -hmm. had a couple athletes use it as well. And what they've noticed and what I had found for years of my career is the timing of your ingestation of the type of carbohydrate you need to fuel is super important. And yeah. I want to see what you think about when is a good time. Like, let's say you're a busy uh, individual and you've got a regular job. You've got a, a morning session and maybe an evening session. Okay. So this is going to hit two of my kind of foot stomping topics in terms of timing and then breakfast. Cause a lot of people still seem to skip breakfast Yeah. or, we, or they don't. Mm. And man, not like you have to have a big feast, but mm -hmm. something that's not, you know, a bar. Um, mm -hmm. So 
how, what would you recommend in terms of a, doesn't have to be like eggs and toast, but in terms of the type of carbohydrate, like let's say you've got a morning hour session, um, should you start that fasted? Should you not? And then also let's talk about in the evening, when, mm -hmm. what should your lunch look like if you've got mm -hmm. like a three to 5 PM window of training for swimming or, or running where you're going to have to pay attention to what's in your stomach? How would you approach that day of consumption of carbohydrate? Okay. So for your two a days, um, when you go into that first morning session, what you start your day off with will affect the end of the day for sure. So if you go into that first session fasted, um, you're already, uh, you know, an hour long session, maybe you can get away with it, but if it's anything longer than that, like you're, you're already starting off depleted. And so what I usually say is like, if you're kind of that person that is getting up well, and I know I, I would get up for my swim sessions and it was four 30 in the morning, but I was still eating like a graham cracker or like Bobo muffins, anything I could get that I was like willing to get down my, my throat, you know, at four 30 yeah. in the morning, I was, I mean, I would wake up and as I'm like putting my swimsuit on, I'm like putting food in my mouth, yeah, even so though I really don't want to do it within 15 minutes of your session, you've got some carbs coming in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I would even sometimes be sipping a little bit on a protein shake, like a little bit, not too much, just, just enough. Yep. Just enough. And then I'd have my, you know, hour swim session. And then afterwards that breakfast and that recovery is essential. Mm -hmm. So this is actually where I love breakfast salads. And with a lot of my athletes, I try to make it a thing. And sometimes I get away with it. And sometimes I don't, but um, having, happy. yeah, having like eggs or bacon or um, even well, bacon can be a little bit high in fat. So for some people, their guts aren't going to really like that. But eggs are a great source as well as other, you know, I mean, chicken, usually we don't really like to eat a lot of different types of proteins in the morning, because we have this like idea of what breakfast food should look like. But like, chicken, steak, um, hopefully, I don't know if a lot of your people are vegetarians or vegans, or if they're they're meat eaters, but Okay. So whatever it is, we've got to make sure we're getting a decent amount of protein in there because it's just, that's, that's the essential part of, you know, recovering. So or some amino to, acid tabs or something like that. Yep. Whey protein, vegan protein, whatever it is, let's just make sure that leucine content is up there enough that it will stimulate recovery. Um, so whatever it is that works really well, but also really getting that whole food is essential. So I love scrambles where you can do like maybe some yeah. onions, some bell peppers or some spinach. Smoothies are also okay if we've got to, you know, get something in fast so we can head out the door, but we can at least get some blueberries and some spinach and some other things in that smoothie with that protein that we're getting a bit more of those, you know, um, colorful foods in, right? Yeah. In the fastest and easiest way possible. And extra notes, if you can put some yogurt or, or or kefir in there because it'll support that gut bacteria, you know, that cultured food um, and bacteria containing food. Um, ideally, also making sure you're getting in a good carbohydrate there. So some toast would be good. Two a days, I love some toast and some jam. <laughs> so you can yeah. really get that carbohydrate and up. And butter. Yeah, absolutely. And if not two, like I was not known to have like, you know, two pieces of toast with jam on it and eggs and all sorts of things, especially when I was in the middle of all of it. So then whatever snacks you need to do throughout that is fine. Um, and then lunch, because you're going to have that, 
next um, training training uh, in in the afternoon, yeah, a big salad probably not a good idea. So something again that's going to look fairly similar to breakfast, a good source of protein a starchy carbohydrate, like maybe some rice or, um, even like, uh, potatoes, quinoa, sweet potatoes, something like that. It's sweet potatoes, tortilla chips, also great tortillas in general are also Mm. great. Um, and, and I'm not, you know, opposed necessarily to gluten, but I would just say like for most people, especially endurance athletes, like if you're having like gluten at every single meal of the day, just be a little bit cautious of that because we can have some, some negative impacts on the gut with that much coming through. Mm-hmm. So try to vary those sources of rice, potatoes, sweet potatoes, t- tortilla chips, all of those different types of things. If we can change that around and, and get some variety in there, that's also really ideal. Quinoa also being another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, maybe some veg like you can still have like carrots and hummus for lunch or you know whatever whatever else but they're they're minimal right they're not just like a huge bowl of salad that is just gonna be so so tough on the gut and fill you up so much that you're also not going to get enough protein and that you're also not going to get enough carbohydrate in there too so I know these are kind of generalized but I know that they're also going to vary quite a bit between your athletes from in any different, you know, realm of where they're at and size and weight and all of those things. I think, I think um, the most important thing that you're hit, hitting on is that the variety is key. Yep. And also avoiding heavily fibrous lunches. If you've got a heavily uh, saturated um, training session with intensity, that's going to mm-hmm. require a lot more of your body's digestive systems. Like yep. those are the things I wanted you to mainly hit for sure. Yeah, um, perfect. And, and honestly, like, even if it's a shake here or there, like I, mm-hmm. I personally am not a big fan of bars at all times because it is essentially like a candy bar, no matter what, how you look yeah. at it um, yeah. with a couple extra additives. Yeah. Um, but if you only have that and you've got to go right into a swim, then like that, you got to get carbs in. And I think, yeah, like totally. I've seen a big transition and I'll just give a quick synopsis of how I've had to learn the hard way. Um, and now I kind of like barely, I am more of a grazer all day long. I'll for sure. Every day I'll have coffee, eggs and toast, maybe some toast and jam, some tortilla chips, but Mm -hmm. I don't really even eat a big meal until dinner. Like that's it. I I have a light, light lunch, which might be another bit of eggs and toast. I mean, I just, Mm -hmm. any sort of large protein or large fat, or high fibrous content screws up my whole rest of the training day. So yeah, I save those for taper week. Yeah. Yeah. And then also too, I think if you're also just tracking some of your protein and carbohydrate, you know, source throughout the day, if you can get enough in like, um, smaller meals. So like Greek yogurt, it's going to be something that's a little bit higher in protein as well as, uh, you know, some of your other, um, like, hummus, for example, is also something that's a little bit higher on the protein scale. So you don't have to eat a lot at every single meal, but if you graze a little bit more and are just aware of where that protein and carbohydrates coming from, you can often get very close to enough, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout that. But that is something that I usually caution when we are, um, 
you know, grazing throughout the day is just making sure that you're reaching those numbers because it does, you know, protein is one of the things that we don't talk about a whole lot from the perspective of like energy and your mitochondria being able to do their job well, but they are very much so affected by lower protein, you know, intake. So uh, it's, it is one of those things that's, that's important to make sure you're getting enough of and grazing sometimes for some people works really well again right? We need to know our athlete and what they work well with, but just being mindful of the fact that you want to make sure you're getting it enough. And then, as you mentioned, right, it's just getting that pre-workout in, in the afternoon. And then of course your recovery, making sure you're getting a really good dinner. And that's, that's a pretty good day. I would just say, if you have an athlete that's training a lot more like on one part of the day than another, so a lot more on like breakfast or like earlier part of the day, later part of the day, just making sure that a lot more of your carbohydrates stem closer to that end of that, that part of the day. So that earlier workout or that later workout, we're, we're moving our carbohydrates around to air more towards those training sessions. than like when you have them on bookends of the day, then that means that things need to be a bit more spread out throughout the day as well. And planning is the most important. Like a lot of folks just go off the seat of their pants and they're like, well, I didn't have anything. And it was five o'clock and I had to ride the bike. So I bought, I'm like, well, Let's start yeah. some snacks here and there. Um, and that's, yeah, kinda, that's yeah. the next major topic I wanted to hit with you. Okay. And, and I've seen this with a lot of women who I coach, which is it's important for this topic to be brought up is, mm. and not that men don't eat enough either, because I've or, struggled uh-huh. with that sometimes myself. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what happens when an athlete, male or female, doesn't eat enough and how that, because the thing is, I see some athletes I train and coach quite a bit and they get the strength training, they get everything done that they're supposed to do. They don't eat enough and they still don't lose weight and they're fluffy hormonally. I think they're just in trouble. So can you yeah, tell me about why right. that's in so, so important to eat enough and what happens hormonally and why you will gain weight even while you're killing yourself to lose it? Yeah. Well, one of those first answers is that the thyroid is a big part of our metabolism and the thyroid's super sensitive to low calorie diets, period. And that's such an interesting thing because how many women do we know that have hypothyroidism or some version of that? And what have they done most of their life? Diet, right? Um, It's not like, it's, it's unfortunately so common. So the thing that I, I just stress to athletes of all ages, especially to our teenagers is like, make sure you're eating enough food <laughs> because that's going to affect your, and your thyroid is a, is a part of your, our hormone system. Right. Mm-hmm. So really, really critical from that standpoint. And I think, you know, we can look at estrogen and progesterone and, and testosterone and all of those things, but really the, the, the main system is from a hormone perspective. That's really affected by that is your thyroid. So um, eating enough. What's that? And that drives pretty much the bus. It does. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've seen it. You you know, you look at people who have hypothyroidism and they just they just slow down. They get fatigued. They get um, you can say fluffy. They have um, you know, difficulty with weight loss and all of those things. And um, you know, I do think that we see functionally a bit of that a lot with athletes who are doing all the things and all the training and even eating like really well in perspective, right? Like I have a lot of people who come to see me that eat better than I do. <laughs> and and um and I kind of take a look look at it. And I'm like, well, um, you know, there's a lot more going on here than, than just, you know, working out a lot and eating Mm -hmm. really clean. (laughs) So, um, 
the so that's like one part of it is just making sure that you're eating enough food and then second when we are under eating and we have that um low energy availability it it affects foundationally every single system in the body so looking at the mitochondria as i mentioned so and they they are organelles inside of our cells that produce energy they also have to have um they use fats, proteins, and carbohydrates to create energy, but they also need things like magnesium because it's a big dishwasher for the whole system. Mm. Also, um, they need a lot of different types of antioxidants because if oxidative stress, so oxidative stress can come from toxins that we breathe in, in our environment, they can come from a lot of, uh, training as well. Oxidative stress tends to go up in athletes in general, as they get deeper and deeper into their training season and competition seasons. Um, and it's just basically a marker of overall load on that body. And if it, if they don't have enough of these antioxidants and calories and food coming in to be mm -hmm. able to flush all of that out and neutralize those free radicals and oxidative, um, you know, uh, chemicals and markers and things, then, um, the mitochondria tend to suffer and they will become um, leaky and also a bit toxic as well, which is then what you experience as fatigue. Well, you decay, also, right? as things yeah. die, they become more acidic and your body just exactly. can't process in that acidic environment. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, um, that is one big, big main reason for, and, and just, yeah, it's like the main reason why I'm like, you've got to make sure you're eating enough food because energy for an athlete is, everything right <laughs> like you you need to make sure you have enough energy and fatigue is like the first thing that they'll experience when they're not eating enough they they start to get stuck and then they start to plateau and then we can also start to kind of get into that overreaching to overtraining standpoint mm -hmm. and that when you get into that point now we're at a very critical place where um if we don't make changes it could be like you mentioned just at the very beginning, it could be an entire year of off season to then be able to come back from that. So I, I cannot stress this enough of like how important it is to be making sure that you're eating enough to, or, you know, and even for some athletes it's eating enough, or maybe even at a little bit of a surplus to make sure that they have enough coming a little bit, not a lot, but a little yeah. bit of a surplus to, to make sure that they have that energy coming through and they feel like they, they are thriving in that frame. So, um, yeah, you've got basically see. the Thanksgiving and the Super Bowl to eat in excess and be fine, but the rest of the, the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, definitely not saying like we want to go, you know, majorly, um, you know, on the flip side of, of high calories, mm -hmm. but it, it is really important to kind of get close to where, uh, we're at an even point, right. To mm -hmm. energy output and input is and that, and the body is, um, feeling very good with that. I'll, I'll give you one more thing that I think is really, um, opening for a lot of athletes is that, when we're looking at um, like resting metabolic rate and, and testing like that, a lot of women and men are at the like 1500 to 1800 calorie range, just kind of on average. Yeah. That means that like, if they're training for, and this isn't just thinking like on a Saturday, Sunday, or their long training days of four hours or more, they're also training throughout the week as well we have sometimes up to 10 to 20 hour weeks or, or 20 hour weeks or more. That's a lot of energy output. And also thinking about like at that 1500 to 1800 
um, kilocalories of, of output, that's, that's just being in like a coma of like (laughs) existing throughout the day. Your body needs that many calories coming in, in order to operate your heart and your, like your whole system, right. Mm. To be able to function and to keep you alive. So, you know, you think about these 20 hour weeks and if you're, you're barely eating 2000 calories a day, um, we're going to have a problem, yeah, <laughs> right? You'll lose weight real fast, but then you're going to be mm-hmm. ill. Mm-hmm. Or they won't lose weight because as we mentioned, yeah. right, it's just so stressful on the thyroid that, that, you know, it becomes really tricky. So this is actually just one last caveat. Um, I get very excited and, and passionate about this because it's just so important for people and I want them to be able to just perform well and thrive. And this is actually why I started bringing on a lot of mindset coaching and tools. I, I just realized how many athletes I was, I was, um, training or, you know, not training, but I was, um, you know, working with their health and, and nutrition plans and all of that. And they had so much fear around yeah. eating more. And they had so much fear around um, food and and put, putting some of these habits into place. And I was seeing so much resistance from people to do the things that I was like, you like, if you want to perform well, like this is something you really, really need to do. And they would resist and resist and resist. And so then I started realizing, like, I've got to bring on another you know, tool here to be able to help athletes be able to not just implement these habits, but also, you know, create more strategies and work on what are those emotions and things that are coming up that are preventing them from being able to do this. So there's, there's a whole other aspect of that, that we won't get into today, but that it is really important to address the fact that like, I'm not just saying to people, like, we've got to, we've got to make sure you're eating more and then just leaving them in the woods of like, well, I have a whole lot of feelings about this, you know, uh, I want to make sure that they actually feel supported in that and that they can prove to themselves over time that they're going to like, they're okay. And they're going to be okay. And that's I appreciate you know, that. a big, I, I, a big piece I, for that. That hits a note for me specifically at one point. And it's hard to believe looking at myself now, but I was estrogen, progesterone dominant. I was putting on weight. I was, I tried mm-hmm. every diet for like six months and I was like low carb vegetarian for, and I, I screwed up my thyroid Yep. Um, and I struggled with some eating. And then now, if you'd look at what I eat on a daily basis, you'd be like, how do you have a physique that is that with what you eat? And I'd say, I tell this to folks and you can steal it. Because it's probably already out there. Um, you are what you think most of the time. Like yes. if, if you feel stressed about eating that piece of chocolate cake after a nice dinner. Yeah. What do you think it's going to do? Yeah. You feel guilty about it. That's more stress hormone. Your body isn't yep. go- like, it's going to carry more weight in your body. But if you like tell yourself, mm-hmm. I need this shit. I'm about to go mm-hmm. ride four hours tomorrow. I deserve some damn dessert. You better believe you're going to be putting out some good power the next day and probably feel yes. like, it's the weirdest thing ever, but mm-hmm. the only time I've felt really good after a night of alcohol is when I've drank sake, like, and not a lot. Oh yeah. I've had like little bits of sake at dinner with like at an Asian restaurant or something. It's delicious. Yeah. And I've had like some of my best times ever. I'm like that simple rice carb, just mm-hmm. getting in my body doing this thing, getting stored as glycogen. I must've been depleted. Um, so anyways, yeah. it's not about <laughs> me. But I just, it really strikes a note because I really think you are what you think. 
Yeah. You, and um, your story is actually really powerful because in those scenarios, like think about how much power people are losing to food, right. And to all of these areas where, you know, they want to be making sure they're doing enough, right. They want to make sure that they're going to be able to um, finish that race. They want to make sure they're, you know, going to be able to PR and do those things that they're working so hard to do. But, you know, when we are like stressed about eating food, that food is not going to integrate well. It just yeah. won't because you're, you're all up in your brain about it. And we are like, our thoughts come from beliefs. Mm-hmm. They, so, you know, when we have limiting beliefs and and all of those things, it affects our, like our emotions are tied into that. They're a guide for how we feel about anything. So if we're anxious about food, if we're anxious about sleep and sleeping the night before, we also create our reality because yeah. of how we're thinking. Uh, so I, Yeah. That was a whole other side of things that I got into when I was yeah. like, man, I can't just be telling these athletes to like take these supplements and eat this food and do all these things. And they're just, you know, lost in the weeds of like how they're feeling about it. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't sit well. And so yeah. anyway, that's a whole it's other topic. The it's power a real of thing. what you think is real. Um, and mm-hmm. that goes into, you know, the rest aspect of it is another thing. And that'll yeah. kind of be our, our final chat topic because it's probably the, one of the most important things is you mm-hmm. will not get faster training. You will get faster recovering. And if you miss that recovery aspect, which I have been guilty of many times, you mm-hmm. will show up flat, underfueled, and underperformed. So can mm-hmm. you, I guess, specifically, let's talk about which aspects of your life will, I mean, I guess, internally um will suffer most let's say let's put a, a theory or not a theory but like a hypothetical out there um you're about to travel for a race mm-hmm. you're in your taper week you're having mm-hmm. a hard time like existing because you're training less and you're just struggling with that and you feel like you're bloated and you're worthless mm. but you know you have to rest but you're not resting because you're stressed about it what does that do to your body during the lead up to an important goal you've spent six to eight months for? And how does that compromise you during the travel situation? And how can we avoid that problem? Because travel is a whole nother bit of stress. Okay. So the first that actually goes down to what people believe around rest and recovery. That's the the root of all of it, right? So, uh, and this is just so, so, so common is people have a fear of recovery because, and a lot of the times those beliefs are around, well, so-and-so's training and so-and-so's doing more. So they're going to be so much better than me, you know, and, and what am I doing over here? You know, I actually... I know a lot of people do a lot of like running and, and training and biking in the days leading up to events, which I'm not saying that's wrong necessarily, but one of, one of the things that my coach, um, would say is like, it takes courage to recover. And when you see a lot of those athletes going out to like, I would still be moving and doing things, but I was only going out for very short, 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 you know, training sessions, um, leading up to just to get some movement in, because as you mentioned, you can feel bloated, you can feel inflamed, you can feel all sorts of weird things during Mm -hmm. the, um, taper week. But it would just, I would, I started to notice even in myself, I was like, oh, there's so many athletes out here that are just going for, like, I can tell they're going for like a really long ride and like my race is in two days, you know? Yeah. And I just would be like, am I doing something weird here? Like, <laughs> like that seems like, what are they, you know? And I, and then I kind of had to take a step back and be like, 
Well, what's the implication that that's going to have potentially two days from now? Mm -hmm. Like I'm spending a lot of time making sure that I'm building up my stores. I'm making sure I'm getting hydrated. I'm making sure that I'm moving and staying healthy and doing everything I can to recover because I know on race day, then I'm going to show up and I'm going to be ready to go. I, I like to give people this example that this is something I noticed specifically in CrossFit, but I would imagine you kind of see it in, in many different sports, but uh, if you've, if you've ever noticed, like I, and I specifically remember this because I think I was stuck at like a certain, um, I think it was at like a 95 pound snatch, um, which is an Olympic weightlift. And I could not like get over that. And I went on vacation for like two weeks and I didn't touch, I didn't do anything on that vacation. Mm -hmm. And then I came back and I not only I, and I PR that, that weightlift. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's kind of a science experiment, right? There. Yeah, it was like, huh, that's really interesting. And I've carried that forward because that's the whole point of a taper week yeah. is that you build in that recovery so that then your body's able to adapt. It's able to take that time to absorb and lower inflammation and process and do all of those things and mop everything up so that when you show up on race day, you are like geared and ready to go. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, you actually end up going into race day in a more depleted state. Who do you think is going to fare better? The one that's depleted or the one that's, that's fueled up, that's recovered, that's mopped the, you know, the remainder of inflammation up that's adapted, that is also slept well. And as you mentioned, like recovery and sleep and making sure that we are, you know, managing our, our emotions and all of those things going into race day is, is just vital. Um, and, and that's one of the things we work on is mindset around what does that rest mean and what mm -hmm. does that mindset, you know, and mean around recovery. And then also do we have any anxiety going in that's affecting our sleep? So then we're going in already energy depleted by race day. We, you know, it's, it's just so it's one of the things that people leave for the very, very last bit, right. It's no, like the mindset the most, piece. Most important yet, part. It, right, exactly. So um, that's the reason for that taper week. And if we're just adding more stress and more stress and more stress and more stress, we're just working our body into a more depleted state. And I can't say that enough because I know so many people are coming off of on off season and in, into in season in, in this sport, you know, and, and also knowing in other sports right now they're in off season and this is the time to build all those levels up so we can go into in season and be, be ready to go. And that's, it's, it's one of the reasons why everybody has a recovery season. And the, doing yard work on a, a recovery day, Pam, that is not recovery day. <laughs> <laughs> actually that's funny because we we it was i was actually supposed to have a recovery day and um my husband and i were um re-graveling our entire driveway oh. we have a very very long driveway and my coach was like um i'm sorry what <laughs> did you do <laughs> now we need another day off yeah. So anyway, yes, there's, it's also being aware of what's going on in your external outside of training life as well. Yeah. Those, those things are really important. So what types of things as we're getting ready to travel to an event that we've spent a long time getting ready for, um, in mm -hmm. terms of obviously rest when you're supposed to rest, but taper weeks, um, you know, don't mm -hmm. neglect them. What yeah. types of things additional to just a, a standard taper in terms of, uh, nutritional intake or supplements do you really recommend to make sure athletes show up not depleted mm -hmm. okay so 
uh, I'll try to make this as bite-sized as possible because there's a lot that goes into it. It's a whole podcast. It is. Um, But sleep, I can't stress it enough. Like how many people don't sleep enough and don't get good enough quality of sleep? Like there's, that's just, if you can dial that in uh, about, well, you should have it dialed in throughout your entire training season. But if you, um, but especially those few weeks beforehand, making sure you're sleeping enough and really prioritizing that sleep is critical. Mm -hmm. The second layer on that. So when we're talking about supplements, um, so your antioxidants, like your vitamin C, your vitamin D, vitamin D particularly is one that is a nutrient deficiency. That's very, very, um, common in athletes and it can affect your recovery. It can affect your immune system. It can affect uh, your mood, right? It can affect so many hormones, right? All of those things. So, um, that's one thing I just recommend, but I don't love to suggest it all the time, like just, you know, out there because so many people will just go take vitamin D. Yeah. Get a blood test, right? Yeah. Get your blood test, please. This is something you can ask your primary care physician for like every three to four months or so is if your insurance will, well, even if your insurance won't cover it, like you should probably be doing this if you're taking vitamin D. Um, but testing your levels is just so important because if you overdo it on vitamin D, you also can end up in a toxic situation. So I can't stress it enough. Make sure you're testing throughout your season, but also it's one of the most critical things for athletes to not get sick when they're traveling and going into um, race season. The other thing is um, I did mention vitamin C and vitamin C as well as um, a supplement called N-acetylcysteine and zinc can be very effective. If you do get signs and symptoms of a cold, it can shorten it really quickly. Mm -hmm. So I- typically give people a protocol that's like, if you get signs of like the, the sniffles or the things take this right away. Nice. And that should help to, 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 you know, make that only a couple days versus dealing it with, with it for like two weeks. The, the, the only reason why I would say don't take those things throughout your entire season is that, um, and this is again, where testing really becomes critical is that there are, um, several studies that have shown that taking, antioxidants in supplemental form. So vitamin C, vitamin E, vitamin A, all of those things um, can actually uh, slow down or hinder your adaptation to performance because they, the inflammation that happens from your training and your muscles, they, they take, they take that down. So they sort of mop it up really quickly. Well, we kind of need that inflammation in order for those muscles to adapt. It's, it's, it's a physiological process. So again, we're starting to get into this sort of like nuanced area of, yeah, we don't want to end up depleted because that's going to have some implications, but we also don't want to be taking these things, especially in like our recovery supplements and all of this stuff, because it can actually reduce or hold us back from really being able to get the full adaptation that we're looking for from our training. So this is where I just, I just love it when people actually get testing and they know where they're at throughout their season, because then, you know, we can really make sure that, you know, if food wise, isn't cutting it. Okay, cool. Let's add in, um, you know, some specific supplements. that's going to really help them based on how they're maybe even genetically are, um, you know, depleting a lot of their resources, uh, versus just throwing a multivitamin and a probiotic and all these things in there just for grins and hoping that it's, you know, going to do what we want it to do. And when in, in a lot of cases, it actually may be doing less than may, may actually be causing a little bit of hurt than actually helping. So again, this is 
the nuanced conversation around it all. But, um, you know, if, if we do need to be taking a multivitamin, try to take it away from your training if you can. And, um, don't just throw supplements at, 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 at everything and, and just think that it's doing what it's supposed to do because it may not be doing what you think it's going to do. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I, I love vitamin D I love omega threes and I love, um, creatine and a protein. So like whey protein or a vegan protein, whatever you got to do, whatever side you're on. Um, but just making sure that what you're taking is a very good quality. And those are kind of my standard for people. And then the, the multivitamins, the B vitamins and all that other stuff is kind of a, just be careful with what you're taking and know why you're taking it when you're taking it and making sure that it's actually doing what you think it's going to do. I love that answer. And I, I knew you were going to give a, a really good, strong response to that because yes. just throwing stuff at your body because it sounds good, isn't going to cut it. I think mm-hmm. uh, we, I just learned that there's this company right down the street from me called sun warrior and they've made like some of the best vegan supplements like for years and years. So I was super happy to partner with them. And then they actually like send me like folic acid, which is a transport mechanism for all the things to help you take it Mm -hmm. in. So I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of little things you can do, but the blood testing is something that, you know, I know inside tracker has put millions into this right now. Um, but also I've worked with the company athletebloodtest.com and Mm -hmm. it's, they have absolute data based on athletic numbers, not regular folk numbers. Um, so you can get reliable data for all your blood tests. Now it's not just like going to your doctor. Who's going to be like, well, your normal levels of (laughs) iron are fine. Um, you're right on the lower limit. So if you're on the lower limit, you're probably well below the tolerable limit for what an athlete needs. Yeah. That's Um, a really, really good point. Mm -hmm. And then another part for, for women, especially is they just aren't diligent enough. I've noticed making sure their iron levels are adequate. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah, I didn't even cover that. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I, I knew you would um, if I just brought it up real quick. Mm-hmm. So that test is, you know, important. And how important is it? Oh, super, and super important. And also, I think this is also where, t- again, testing becomes just one of those things that you really want to stay on top of because some people like genetically don't have any problems with it. And also they may uh, eat enough like red meat and just meat animal protein in general to be fine. Whereas you can even still have people who eat animal protein and still become iron deficient. So, and I will also say this, and this is a whole other side of what, where um, iron deficiency can come from is actually, it can more often be a sign that there are some uh, inflammatory processes and issues that are happening underneath the surface. And everybody just says like, Oh, we'll just take an iron supplement. Oh, Oh, just, you know, keep eat, eat more meat, make sure you're getting some liver supplements and all of these things when it may actually be telling you something that you're not seeing yet in symptoms. So you might be getting fatigue and you might be getting, you know, those signs is like iron deficiency is happening, but there actually may be something quite a lot deeper than that going on. And when you address that problem, the iron deficiency goes away, you know? So I just kind of stress that a little bit more of like, let's actually think about this for a second, as far as like the body is designed to be able to actually keep these iron and B12 stores and vitamin D in a very good and optimal level in most cases. So when we're seeing problems, 
let's start considering like what, what the reasons are. And it's not always just training. There's, there's oftentimes some other things happening, um, that, that, that can actually lead you to deeper answers and prevent more problems from happening. If you take a step back and start looking deeper. You might know of this website. I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes, but I think there's a resource that's free where you can, like, let's say you get your blood panel privately and you don't have an, a doctor analyze it. You can put in a lot of the values and mm-hmm. it will kind of spit out some problems that might be the underlying factor to your deficiency, whether it's, mm-hmm. and I, I'll look into that, but it's, it's, I, th- I thought maybe you'd know about it. Um, yeah. Isn't perfect. it like, I don't want to say it wrong because I'm not sure if this is actually true or not, but I know you can do this with genetic testing and maybe you can also do it with your lab. I know insight tracker has the ability to do that as well. If you have like labs from your typical doctor, you can put those in there and it's mm-hmm. like, an I think it's less than a hundred dollars to do it. And they'll give you all the nutrition stuff that they give when you do your own testing through them. Yeah. Um, but also I think it's like genetic decode or something like that. I don't want to say it wrong, but you're you're right. There are, there are definitely, um, resources out there for people that can give, if you don't have access to a doctor that, that is, you know, able to, to read those and know like, oh, this is, this is more of what's going on. Then yeah, you can, there's a lot of resources now out there that, that if you just do a little bit of deeper searching, you, you can find them. Yeah. Cause it's tough to get answers if you don't like most people rely on their physician and let's say your physician isn't as up to date with the stuff that you do. Mm-hmm. It's like, I've spent, you know, way too much money at naturopaths in my life. And I, I don't think that they should be as expensive. I, I really respect their work and I know they mm. deserve to be paid as much as a, you know, regular trauma doctor or a family physician, but I just like spending 30 to 40 grand just so you can get thrown 30 to 40 supplements at you and then spend three months and more money with ozone therapies and all kinds of stuff. I just, Mm -hmm. there's gotta be a a in-between and that's kind of where I hope the industry starts to go to where if you can afford to spend five to five grand to Mm -hmm. eat yourself healthy without having to pay astronomical amounts of health insurance and naturopath fees. Like that's, you know, I hope it happens just because there's a lot of good info out there that isn't available because of the certain it's entry level is so high. <laughs> it's so expensive. Yeah. Well, um, I'll and, tell you that I exist in that space. So there yeah, you go. That's, but... <laughs> that's something else I wanted to point out is you do want more information from Dr. Kirsten. Is it Kirsten or Kristen? Yeah, Dr. Kirsten. I also go by Dr. K. So. Dr. K. Um, Dr. Kirsten.com. It's K-I-R-S-T-I-N. We'll have that in the show notes. Um, obviously, we could have talked you know, quite a lot longer on many topics near and dear to our hearts as we do rely on folks like you to make sure that, you know, progressive thinking folks like you to make sure that we're headed down the right path is just our endurance coaches and people who care about taking care of our people. So if you need a resource, look up Dr. K. Um, her website's awesome. I'm on it right now. It, it's, I don't even know why I love, want to eat cucumbers now, but there's a lot of cucumbers on your website. It looks oh. really fresh. <laughs> yeah. But thank yeah. you, honestly, for all of your insight. I know your years of experience have not been cheap to, to earn. And thank you for giving away this knowledge and your expertise. And do you have any final notes that we could leave people with if they wanted to make 
a big impact on their life starting today? Yeah, I think we gave a lot of them. I'll just kind of recap some of them is is the, the hydration stuff that we talked about, those tips, like you can implement those literally today. You know, mm-hmm. um, those things are are so easy to start testing as well as from the fueling standpoint. You can go out tomorrow and try something a little bit different and see how you feel. Um, and then also I would say too, just, the, and this is usually how I end mm-hmm. most podcasts is variety just variety of foods, eat the rainbow, do what you can to get some more colorful foods into your routine. They don't have to be in big salads. They can be in little small amounts, but the more that you're able to do that, as well as cultured foods and just eating variety as best as you can, that you're going to, you'll, you'll, I mean, your gut's going to love you for that as well as the rest of your body. So those are my, my typical tips. And then, um, I also have on my website, just as you mentioned, I have a free, um, like kind of PDF for people that if they heard some things today, like inflammation, Mm -hmm. gut health, um, nutrient deficiencies, and they just want to start diving into that a little bit more. Um, I have that resource there. It's drkirsten.com slash finish strong and, uh, would be just a really awesome place to start for people. So I just really appreciate you having me on as you, as you mentioned, like I I have been in this for a while (laughs) and, and I just love to teach on it. I, this is a huge, passion of mine I saw I saw people getting carted off at my races and I was like this does not need to happen (laughs) you know every single race I was at I saw people just you know falling over and cramping and doing all sorts of things and it just drove deeper and deeper into me I was like I got to get this out to as many people as I can so I just you know I always always appreciate being invited on Mm -hmm. and, and thank you for the opportunity to get to share Yeah. And you also have a lot of great resources on education in terms um, of things you should do right now. Go to the blog section and Mm -hmm. how to overcome overtraining, inflammation and gut mitochondria health. You've got so many amazing resources on your website for free. People can just learn from. And of course, if you want more contact Dr. Kirsten and I I know we don't get a lot of guests on who really get that sciency. And I've been mm. really wanting to make it a point so we can, you know, add more value. So thank you so much for being a breath of fresh air for all of our listeners and, mm. um, and being a great resource. And we'll certainly have you on again. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I got ish to do. Flying through the sky in my parachute. Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise on a one-man mission trying to see it through.